This morning, we really come to the point where the Apostle Paul, he begins to get his teeth stuck into his second missionary journey. Now, last week, you remember that we saw what I was actually kind of desperate to entitle uh, Paul's Big Barney with Barnabas. You remember that? We saw that uh, Paul and Barnabas had, they, they had this fight, and, and, and yes, they sort of separate, and yes, okay, Paul then begins his second missionary journey. But it's really only today, and it's really only in these verses that we've read together, that that missionary journey kicks off properly and with peace. And what I want us to do this morning really is to think about this, is really to see the similarities between what Paul is doing here and your situation and my situation as Christians in London today. You see, <coughs> although it might probably, and it does feel like a long time ago, it's true, isn't it, that we have just come through January the 1st. This is a new year. And what we need to understand is that we should be viewing 2015 as our own missionary journey. That this year, that just now today, that you just like the Apostle Paul as a Christian, you are on a journey. And you are on a journey for Jesus Christ. And so with that in mind, what we're going to do in the sermon is really to think about and to consider the experiences of Paul in his journey and to think about what we learn from those about our witness for Jesus Christ in 2015. So if you like what we're doing today, what the sermon is, is the missionary journey of London City Presbyterian Church. The missionary journey of you, me, the missionary journey, the believers of London City Presbyterian Church. So please, I ask you to turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. Have that in front of you. Let's consider the, the, the first point this morning. Let's consider that this year in our missionary journey, that we must put off all that hinders. So as Christians, this year in our journey for Christ... We must put off anything. We must put off all that hinders. Okay. Now, um, if you're following this through, last, last time out we saw Paul, and not Barnabas this time, but remember Paul and Silas, and we left them and they were heading north. Now, here, as this chapter begins we find Paul, first of all, encountering someone. And he encounters someone who is going to play a massive role in the rest of the New Testament. Do you see who it is? Paul here in Acts chapter 16, for the very first time, think about how close they become, for the first time Paul encounters Timothy. Now I think this guy Timothy would fit in quite nicely to London in the 21st century, okay? Why? Well, because Timothy was a mixed race dude, wasn't he? I mean, look what we're told here. We are told that his mum, Timothy's mum, was Jewish. And we are told that his dad, who, um, get, get this, make sure you've got this, that his dad is most probably dead at this point. 
His mom's Jewish. His dad was Greek. So we've got, we've got to see that he's a mixed-race guy, and that'll be important later on. But it's actually more important, I think, to notice where, where it was that Paul met Timothy. So if your Bible's open, just look at verse 1. Where does Paul encounter this guy? See it? Lystra. Lystra. Now, you, you got my sympathies. Because <laughs> I know it's not easy in a sermon series like this, when we are looking at all the sort of missionary journeys of Paul, it's not actually all that easy to, to keep a track on the names of the places and also what happens in those places, is it? I mean, that is quite difficult, you know, Iconium, all these sorts of different places. What happened there? What did Paul do? It's quite difficult to keep a, a, you know, to keep a grasp of that. I wonder, though, can you remember what happened in Lystra? Does Lystra ring any bells? Let me tell you. Lystra was the place that Paul was nearly killed. So do you remember the episode where Paul was stoned and he was picked up and he's nearly dead and he's picked up and he's taken out of the city and he's just chucked and left for dead? Do you remember that? That was Lystra. And so I think what we are seeing here in Acts chapter 16 is wonderful. Because we are seeing further evidence here that God never allows Christians to suffer in vain. This is Lystra. Do you see? We are learning here that through all of those trials that Paul went through in that city, through his witness, both, what do we see? Both Timothy and Timothy's mother, most likely through that suffering, came to faith. In Jesus Christ. He meets Timothy, but he meets him in Lystra. So that's the first thing. Paul meets Timothy. The second thing that I want you to think about is the fact that Paul doesn't just meet this guy. Paul picks Timothy. And I'll say this. I think what we learn here is a very important lesson for our congregation at, at, at this point. Very important. See, a couple of years ago, I think it's probably fair to say that we as a congregation of God's people didn't have very many young uh, guys in the life of the church. Like, I was thinking about this this week. I think a couple of years ago, we had maybe one or two young men in the life of the, the congregation. I can think of maybe others, but I they don't spring to mind. It's also probably fair to say that that's changed slightly in that time that we've got maybe a, a bigger group of young guys, but also a growing number of, of guys in the life of the church. And what we are seeing here in Acts chapter 16 is not just important for the young men of the church, but it's also important for how we as the rest of the congregation view the young men of the church. What do I mean? Well, Paul doesn't meet, doesn't just meet Timothy. What does he do? He enlists this young man. He wants Timothy here to accompany them on the mission trip. He kind of wants Timothy to replace Mark. He wants Timothy, I suppose, to become a sort of apprentice, if you like, in the work of the gospel. Now we get our heads around that. We can understand that. We know that. Let me ask you, what was the reason, though, that Paul chose Timothy? 
Like he could have told, he could have chosen. There's lots of churches. Sure, there's lots of other young guys he chose. Why did Paul hear in these verses, what are we told? Why did he choose that particular young guy? Do you see it? Look at verse 2. Let me read it to you. Why did he choose Timothy? It says, the brothers at Lystra, the brothers at Iconium, what they, do you see it? They spoke well of Timothy. Friends, do you see it? As it is with the rest of the New Testament, when it comes to any sort of leadership in the church, it was Timothy's spiritual reputation that was important. I wonder, do you see the lesson for for LCPC? What what do we want from the young guys of this church? What do you want? Your heart of hearts, what do you want from the young men of this church? Guys, you listen to this. You know, is it that they dress well? Is it? I mean, is it that the young men of the church are sort of socially competent guys? Do we want that? Is that what's important to us? Is it that the guys, the young guys of the church are funny? Is it that the young guys of the church are good looking? Is that what's most important? Friends, what we're seeing here is that what is most important, what we should want is that the young men of this church are so, so spiritually vibrant so spiritually alive that they gain a reputation in this place for their Christ-likeness. That's what we should want. That's why Paul chose Timothy. So Paul picks Timothy, meets Timothy, he picks Timothy, and without trying to sound too crass, he meets him, he picks him. Paul cuts Timothy. He cuts Timothy. Now, if you were to speak to people um, out in London and people, let's say, out on the street behind me here, if you were to speak to them and say to them, ask them what an evangelical Christian was, we've thought about this before, but we would get a lot of different responses, would we not? Like, I think some people today think that an evangelical Christian, that is just an interchangeable way of saying a Pentecostal Christian. Some people, if you'd say, what's an evangelical Christian? They might also say, oh, the evangelical Christians, they are the ones that hate gay people. That's another way of, of the people view evangelical Christians. I think a, a third way that people might view it, that they might say, okay, evangelical Christians, those people, they are the hypocrites. You know, the evangelical Christians, they are the ones who preach one thing and that do another. Hypocrites. Well, in first reading of this, wait a minute. Surely that is the accusation that could be leveled against Paul. Are you tracking this? See, remember, think about what the previous chapter and the Jerusalem Council was all about. What was the big issue? What was it? That Christians didn't need to, Gentile Christians didn't need to be what? circumcised for salvation. You remember that? Hey, wait a minute. Look at this. Look what we've got here. No sooner has Paul been integrally involved in the Jerusalem Council on that big deal than look at verse 3. Paul, hypocrite man. Paul is circumcising Timothy. Is that right? Is he being hypocritical? What is, what is going on? Why is he... 
Why is he circumcising Timothy? I'll tell you what he's doing here. Paul here is ridding himself of anything that will hinder his witness for Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing in circumcising Timothy. He is taking something that would hinder his gospel witness and he is casting it off. See, follow me on this. See this man, Timothy, here, this young guy that we're dealing with? He really should have been a circumcised guy. Like we've seen, remember I said that he was a mixed race man? Well, he, he was a Jew. He stood as a Jew through his mother. But obviously, with his dad being a Greek, his dad wasn't that keen on his son being circumcised by the looks of it, so it never happened. Now, that sounds okay. But then we realize that Timothy, standing before Paul that day, he stood before Paul as technically an apostate Jew. You know, one who was Jewish, but one who, in not being circumcised, he looks to have completely rejected God's covenant with the people of Israel. And what does Paul know? Well, Paul knows that if he rocks up into the next town in the company of an apostate Jew, a well-known apostate Jew, that's not going to go well. That is going to hinder the witness to the gospel. So what does Paul do? Paul gets rid of the problem. Paul circumcises this man. He circumcises Timothy. Now what I think we have there is a principle to guide us in 2015 as Christians. And I would urge you all as believers to consider this. Please ask yourself just now, what is it in your life just now that is hindering your personal witness to Christ. What is it about your lifestyle? About your character? What is it that is standing in the way that is hindering your witness to Jesus Christ? What is it? See, whatever that is, that there, it has to be cast off. Whatever is hindering your personal witness to Jesus Christ, today, this year, on your missionary journey, it has to go. And let me say, getting rid of whatever that is, it might be controversial. Think about this. Paul circumcising Timothy. Well, it might be like that for you. It may very well be. See, your job, this stands in the way of a flourishing witness for Christ. You might even have to think about a career change. It might be your friendships that are standing in the way. You might think, how can I spend more time with unbelievers? More than that, it might even be something that causes you pain. Think about what Timothy was willing to do here for the gospel witness. It might be like that for you. There might be things in your life just now that you absolutely cherish. Things that you absolutely love, but things that are hindering your witness to Christ. See, even if that causes you emotional pain and distress, it has to go. It has to be cast off. This year, our missionary journey, in the words of Hebrews 12, let us throw off all that hinders. And the sin that 
so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Okay, so the need to put off all that hinders. Okay, let's consider our next heading for a moment. Let's think about this. That this new year, this missionary journey that we are on, we need to perceive God's guidance. So we need to uh, put off all that hinders, but we also need to perceive God's guidance. So if you're following the story, at this point we've got Paul and Silas, now accompanied by this young guy, Timothy. They're going around all these churches in the area. They're strengthening the churches, and they're sort of relaying the decision of the Jerusalem council to them. So that's what they're doing. Okay? But then the, the next chapter of the missionary journey begins. And these men, this, this small group of men, they head off west through the regions of Phrygia and Galatia. And do you know what? It really is then and there in the text that we are knocked off our feet. Really sideswiped by what, what I think, I'm sure a lot of you would agree with this, what I think is one of the most shocking and arresting phrases in, in all of the New Testament. I mean, do you see what we are told as they travel in verse 6? Please look at verse 6. Isn't this shocking? The Holy Spirit kept the men from preaching the gospel in the province of Asia. Isn't that strange? And if that wasn't bad enough, <laughs> if this wasn't enough of a, a blow to the missionary journey, do you see what happens after that? Look in verse 7. Like Paul's obviously said to them, okay, the Holy Spirit is stopping us from preaching here, but it's okay, guys. I've got a plan. What we're going to do is we're going to head up north into northern Turkey and we'll be fine there. But no. Verse 7, it says that the Holy Spirit acts again. This time it's even more definite. The Holy Spirit completely stops the men in their tracks. They can't go north. Now, I guess what I, what I want to do is just to address a question that, that I think you might be asking from that text. And it's difficult to try and second guess uh, what, what you're thinking when you read that. But I'm guessing that at least some of you are thinking, well, wait a minute, we understand that the Holy Spirit stopped them from preaching. We understand that the Holy Spirit stopped them from moving north. But how? Like, what did the Holy Spirit do? How did these men, how did these men know not to preach? How did they know not to go north? How was the Holy Spirit restraining them? Are you thinking that? Let me address it. It, it could be that, you know, just that the Apostle Paul is so spiritually switched on here that he's got an inner sense that the Holy Spirit doesn't want him to preach doesn't want him to travel north. So I think that's totally legitimate. It could very well be an inner sense of the Holy Spirit restraining and guiding them. Some other guys, a lot of other guys will say, what happens here is a vision of Jesus. Okay? 
they will say that because the language is very unusual, you might have noticed this, the Holy Spirit here is uniquely called what? Uniquely called, get it, the Spirit of Jesus. Nowhere else called that. The, the Lord Christ appears in a vision to the Apostle Paul and, and, and guides him. Now, some people think that I'm, I'm not buying it. I don't think. It might be the case. Maybe not. I think what is most likely here is that the people of God are guided at this point by prophetic utterance. You see, ask yourself, who's the, 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 the gang of guys here? Who are the three men? You've got Paul and you've got Timothy. Who's the other guy? You've got Silas. What have we just found out about Silas in the previous chapter? That Silas was a prophet of God. Do you see it? Most likely here, God is guiding his people, yes, through prophetic utterance. God is guiding his people through his word. <coughs> so what have we got? We've got Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and they're in a bit of a tough spot, you might say. They're stuck. They can't preach where they are. They can't go back. They can't go south. They're now they can't go north. But thankfully what happens is that God steps in. God guides them. And friends, do you see how God does this? Do you see how God guides them positively here? Through this well-known vision of a man of Macedonia. Um, I presume, as Christians, that you have heard of this vision of a man of Macedonia. Let's have a few nods if that is the case. But you've heard of this, the vision of a man of Macedonia and this guidance that he provides. At this point, can I issue a note of caution that this man of Macedonia has been misused by Christians throughout the centuries and misused a lot? Like if you are a believer at this point in your life who is desperately looking for, for some... <laughs> sort of divine guidance, you know, guidance from God about a particular issue. Can I say it's highly unlikely that this evening as you go to your bed that you are going to have this elaborate vision. A man is not going to appear to you, I will suggest, and give you precise instructions about what you are going to do. If that happens, I would say it's probably less likely to do with God in action, much more to do with the fact that you're maybe eating cheese uh, last thing at night. This is in general not how God works today now that scripture is complete. And I stress in general. But it is, friends, how God worked here in this missionary journey. So what happens? What do we see? Well, at night, Paul sees a vision of a man. Not of an angel, a man. And this man begs Paul to come to Macedonia, and Paul immediately leaves. I wonder, I know I'm rushing through that, but I wonder, do you see the lesson for the people of God? This year, for you, in your missionary journey, for all of us, we too must be consistently looking to God for guidance about our witness. And I'll ask you, as Christians, whether you do that just now. 
Is that part of your devotional life? Is that part of your spiritual life? That you would look and pray to God frequently for direction and witness, direction to the correct people in witnessing. Do you do that? Do you see how vitally important it is to seek guidance from God about our our evangelism? See, if we do that, God might do a couple of things in our lives. He might, as he does here, if we pray to him looking for guidance, he might just shut some doors in our face. Like, I think, like Paul, you and I can have sort of grand plans for a missionary journey this year, we might think, this year, I'm going to reach that person at work. I'm going to tell that person all about Jesus at work. That friend that I've got, I'm going to hit them hard with the gospel. They're going to get it this year. Well, you see, like with Paul, God might have other better ideas. And God might close the door to people. But the other thing that God might do if we are seeking guidance from him and witnessing, get this, God, if we pray and ask for guidance, he might lead us to real people in real need. Now, hear this. I never normally say this sort of stuff in sermons, okay? Never normally do this. But as I was preparing this sermon this week, I was genuinely affected by heartbroken if you like by the language in this text because I'd never seen it before like we think what does the man of Macedonia do what do we think his point is he says you know we always think he says Paul you know come Macedonia come on man and he does that he does something else do you see the language he comes he appears to Paul and he says, come and help us. Do you see how heartbreaking that is? Because let me tell you, that there is the same call that the people out there of London have to us in here. That though they do not know it, that their very souls cry out to you as a Christian, help us. We are perishing. We are entirely lost in our sin. We know not where to turn. We do not know where where to look. Help us. Friends, what a thought it is. If we seek God's guidance this year in our witness, like he does with Paul, God might lead us to people like that. People who are just ready and willing to be helped and, yes, to be saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. So in our missionary journey this year, we put off all that hinders and we perceive God's guidance. (coughs) The third, the thing that I want to close with, the third point is that in our missionary journey this year, as Christians, We need to preach Christ Jesus. Preach Christ Jesus. I don't know what you think as Christians about testimony evenings in the life of a congregation in a church. 
Like it, kind of, it divides opinion, doesn't it? Like some people really don't like testimony evenings at all. Uh, they think it really just <laughs> it turns into a competition to see how bad you can say you are before you were saved by Jesus Christ. So I can see it, you know, some people don't like it. Personally speaking, I, I, I quite like testimony evenings. You know, hearing how God has taken someone stuck in their sin and has entirely changed them, you know? To hear how God actually has made someone righteous. I think it's a wonderful thing to hear. And really it is, isn't it? A testimony. It is a conversion story that we have in this last section of the of Acts 16 that we read. Because we are confronted with the story of a woman, a woman called Lydia, and how she was saved. Lydia. Now, what, what are we told? Well, we're told that Paul and his companions, they've had, now we've got it, they've had the vision of the man of Macedonia. And they have left and they have gone to Greece. They get into Greece and they go to the city of Philippi. Now, Philippi might well be, or might well have been, as we've told there, the sort of leading city of Macedonia. But it does look as though Philippi didn't have even a synagogue. Because you see what Paul has to do in order to worship God? Paul has to get out of Philippi and he has to go down by the river. And it's there, friends, down by the water's edge, that Paul meets this group of people. And it's there, down by the water, that this woman, Lydia, is saved by grace. And all I want to do, we're just going to close with this. All I want to do is to think about how it was that this woman was brought into salvation. And I want to sort of preface it with this. We don't think about this often enough as a congregation, but there are people here this morning <coughs> who are, are, are not saved. That's a thought, isn't it? People in the chairs and in the pews, uh, people around you just now uh, who are who are lost in their sin. Um, And I want to say to you, if that describes you, if you know in your heart of heart that that describes you this morning, please, I urge you just to, to see, hear, how God changed that for Lydia. You know? How God could change that. How God saves this woman. How does God save Lydia? Do you see that her salvation, that it involved the preaching of God's word? Do you see that? Like this woman, Lydia, she's a, she's a, she's a, you know, an independent woman. She's a wealthy woman and Paul encounters her. How does he respond? Does he, what does he do? He opens God's word and he preaches to her. And you might be sitting there thinking, this preaching in the church, this idea of preaching in the church, this is crazy, man. Like all this focus on preaching, this is pointless. Can I say to you now, this is how God has chosen to work. That this is how God has chosen to save Paul. And this woman, Lydia, is saved. Do you see also, though, 
that her salvation involved her paying attention. Now that sounds weird, but in the original language, what we are actually told is that God so works in this woman's heart through the preaching, through the preaching, that she suddenly, out of nowhere, starts to pay attention. Now that doesn't mean that she went into her handbag and she thought, okay, I better take notes in what Paul is saying down by the river. Now, you know, it's obviously not that. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's not. It's that God so worked in her heart at that point, down by the river, that suddenly, right there and then, she was transfixed upon the gospel. That she was suddenly, out of nowhere, that day, moved by a sense of her sin and her need and the glory and the wonder of what Christ had done. And then do you see, lastly, that her salvation, it involved God opening her heart. That's what we're told. And again, the language just gets us, doesn't it? That in your salvation, if you're a Christian, God has opened your heart. And what we see there is that salvation is God's business. It is God's work. That if you are unbelieving, if you are lost in your sin, yes, you must repent and believe this morning. But ultimately, it is God who will draw you into his kingdom. So I'm going to end with the most predictable question you can imagine. Are you ready for it? Is what happened to Lydia down by the river, is that perhaps happening in your life this morning? Through the preaching of God's word, are you strangely fixated on your need for Christ? Through the preaching of God's word, is your heart being opened? My prayer the prayer of, I'm sure, every Christian in here, is that even if you came in this morning and you were denying Christ, that even now, God opens your heart that you might receive the Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus. Friends, the message that we must have in our missionary journey in 2015, it has to be the same message that Paul had down by the river, the message that Christ has died. He has done everything that is needed for salvation. And all we need to do is believe in him. Let's pray.